Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. The unprecedented nature of the COVID-19 pandemic has really been a pivotal point in Governor Doug Ducey's leadership in Arizona. Amid conflicting signals from the White House, governors all over the country have played an outsized role in managing the health and economic crises. In a recent poll with the Washington Post and Ipsos, 71% of Americans approve of the way their state's governor is handling the outbreak. 43% approve of Trump's handling. How does Doug Ducey's leadership fare in contrast, and how will his handling of the pandemic shape his legacy as the 23rd governor of Arizona? We'll break down just that. Before diving into politics, Ducey was the CEO of Coldstone Creamery. That's an ice cream company. In 2010, he was elected the state treasurer, and in 2014, he was elected governor. His message at the time emphasized the need to improve Arizona's public image on the national stage, to make it a job magnet, in part by bringing down the state's income tax to as close to zero as possible. And I, and I have made this commitment to the people of our state. I will strive every day to make Arizona a place of opportunity for all. More recently, it's Ducey's image that's taken a beating. His poor approval rating in a poll in April left him as the least popular governor in America at that time. He's come under heavy criticism for what seemed to his critics, at least, as a slow initial response to the pandemic. They also criticized what they viewed as an unduly aggressive reopening of the state's economy. Arizona has been among the nation's worst states at testing for COVID-19, and now that testing has picked up, hospitalizations and deaths have continued to rise more than three weeks after the state's economy reopened. The critics have also been pretty unimpressed with the governor's response to recent protests against police brutality. The governor's comments about the death of George Floyd in police custody were largely overshadowed by his words that supported law enforcement. And when he imposed a curfew after looting in Scottsdale, to some, the governor appeared a lot more troubled by those property crimes than the deaths of African Americans. Senator Kirsten Sinema, a Democrat, took the rare step for her of second-guessing the governor on Twitter. And after that, the governor instituted a statewide curfew. A statewide curfew is now in effect for all of Arizona. Without even talking to the Democratic mayors of Arizona's two most populous cities, Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego and Tucson Mayor Regina Romero. During a news conference, a week after protests in Arizona started, the governor addressed Floyd's death. Arizona will not confuse peaceful protesters and demonstrators with looters and rioters. We will protect peace and order to honor George Floyd's memory. Ducey has said little about the fatal shooting of Dion Johnson by an Arizona state trooper, deferring to State Department of Public Safety Director Colonel Silbert. 
It's been a historic run of problems for the state and for the nation, really. But the most recent job numbers nationally give hope that America is returning to a measure of normalcy now. It's unclear how much these recent moments that have been so problematic for the governor will define his legacy. Here to talk to us about this is reporter Maria Paletta. Let's get some context uh, here. How was the governor doing in the eyes of the public before the pandemic hit? Well, Ducey comfortably won re-election in 2018, though that was partially because his Democratic challenger, David Garcia, went too far left for a lot of Arizona voters. He'd received a lot of flack that year um, during the Red for Ed protests, and it wasn't until those protests shut down schools statewide that he came up with this 20 by 2020 plan to give teachers a 20% raise over three years. He'd also proposed a red flag law after the Parkland school shooting in 2018, but no version of that gun reform bill ever made it to his desk. Uh, Democrats and Republicans alike criticized it in every form of it. Still haven't seen that. And then this year, another piece of legislation that he had touted in his state of the state, which would have enshrined the state's ban on sanctuary cities in the state constitution, crashed and burned after widespread backlash. This November, let's give all Arizona voters the opportunity to say yes to the rule of law and no to sanctuary cities. The proposal angered progressives and concerned the business community because they worried it would set the state back in terms of its recovery after Senate Bill 1070, the so-called show me your papers law. He has gotten a lot more positive feedback on his management of the state's financial situation, which went from, as he loves to say, a $1 billion deficit when he took office to a $1 billion surplus last year. Okay, so let's get to really sort of the uh, the heart of the current moment. How has the governor done during this pandemic? The governor generally has tried to walk a tightrope between protecting people's health and their livelihoods since mid-March. But no matter what he does, uh, because of that tightrope, there's always a contingent of people who are unhappy. Many felt that he acted too slowly early on in terms of shutting down schools, also in terms of implementing his statewide stay-at-home order. He also, for that order, got criticism about exempting, initially at least, hair and nail salons, golf courses, that sort of thing. Um, He got criticism on the other side, though, of course, from protesters and some state lawmakers saying that they felt that it was too heavy handed and went on for too long. Constituents are also at odds over the pace of his reopening plan that's in progress right now in phases. He accelerated the pace of that after the president visited. And it seems like there's been virtually no enforcement of the new health and safety guidelines related to the pandemic that he wanted to see as part of this reopening. So now in the middle of the pandemic, he and his team were hit with another crisis. How have Ducey's actions during the uh, George Floyd protests been characterized, and will his actions have a meaningful impact on his legacy? His actions in response to the death of George Floyd and the protests that ensued after really evolved. He initially had a very tepid response. He didn't comment at all the first couple nights of protests. And the first statement that he put out publicly on Saturday, he didn't mention George Floyd or the reasons behind the growing national unrest at all. Um, He really focused on the quote, quote, rule of law, keeping things orderly, everybody safe. 
Then the next day, he put out another public statement where he did condemn Floyd's killing at the hands of Minneapolis police. But again, that statement was focusing largely on law and order, given the looting and vandalism that had hit Scottsdale Fashion Square the night before on Saturday. He later, just a few hours later after that statement, imposed a week-long curfew to try and prevent similar incidents. He got a lot of backlash pretty much immediately for those moves. Um, he had a meeting with African-American faith and community leaders later on Sunday, and several leaders who were there criticized the timing of that curfew, saying, you know, when it was Phoenix, it was fine, but when predominantly white Scottsdale got hit, now all of a sudden we have a curfew in place. They also questioned the framing of his public statements and what they viewed as his prioritization of, quote, stuff over Floyd's life when he was talking much more about looting and vandalism versus Floyd's actual case. They also outlined a, a bunch of concrete steps that they wanted Ducey to take to prove that this wasn't just lip service him meeting with him, with them. Um, in my opinion, whether he actually acts on those proposals is what will define his legacy on this issue. For example, they suggested revamping the Arizona Peace Officer Standards and Training Board, which appears to be all white, um, and also changing some of the rules and regulations for prospective law enforcement officers to diversified those ranks. Everybody's heard of George Floyd these days, but Arizona had sort of a, a case of its own um, in the same time frame involving Deion Johnson and the state police. Has the governor talked much about uh, that case with any depth uh, and, and same thing with uh, George Floyd's case? In the case of Dion Johnson, who was a 28-year-old black man shot by a state trooper in late May, the governor has really not addressed it very much. He did mention that during that meeting we discussed with faith leaders and community leaders, they had asked for more transparency in that case for essentially a debriefing for the name of the officer who had fatally shot Johnson to be made public. We're still waiting to see what happens with that. In terms of of George Floyd, it's a little different. On Thursday, he had a news conference that was initially billed as an update on the state's pandemic response, but really ended up being dominated by questions about Floyd's death and the protests in Arizona and beyond. The governor, at, at least in my experience, spoke you know more in depth and more frankly about some of these issues than he has, uh, and they really marked a significant shift in tone from that per first public statement he'd made. The suffering and death of George Floyd is tragic and abhorrent. It's an American tragedy. It should be condemned by leaders at every level. They really marked a significant shift in tone from the first public statement he made. For example, he acknowledged racism in Arizona. He said it was incumbent on all of us to do everything we can to minimize and eliminate that systemic racism. He talked about the country having wrestled with race issues since its inception, that more needed to be done via both legislation and reforms, but also in terms of personal behavior and acceptance. He also said he saw a country united in its demand for justice for Floyd while being divided on so many other issues, and that he personally had been sickened by the footage of Floyd's killing. What I'm, what I'm hearing is that people are sickened by what happened, and I share that emotion and, and feeling as well. They're asking for, for change, and they're asking for reform, and they've had enough of this. 
So now in the midst of the pandemic and the Floyd protests, we've heard from local Democratic mayors and they're saying that they haven't had enough direct contact with the governor. Can his lack of communication with local leaders and mayors affect his agenda and therefore his legacy in the long run? It's certainly possible if he wants that legacy to be of a governor who consistently worked hand in hand with local leaders from both sides of the aisle. Uh, His spokesman has recently cited instances during the pandemic when Ducey worked with school superintendent Kathy Hoffman, Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. They're, of course, Democrats, but those are not municipal officials uh, when it comes to Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego, Tucson Mayor Regina Romero. The communication has been lacking, uh, according to those mayors. It's also not like regular communication between Democratic mayors and Republic governors during a crisis is unheard of. A handful of mayors uh, in that situation told the Republic this week that they'd maintained consistent contact with their governor since the pandemic intensified in March. For example, Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas and Missouri Governor Mike Parson have a standing weekly call, said they talk usually more than that. In Dallas, Mayor Eric Johnson speaks with Texas Governor Greg Abbott frequently, and they've done at least one joint news conference. We haven't seen that with Ducey and at least Democratic municipal officials. So, Maria, after this kind of uh, episode with uh, questions about communication and such, where does this leave Arizona post-pandemic? Will the state have a financial crisis? And, and how is the governor expected to finesse all of that? In terms of the financial picture, it's not entirely clear yet. Budget analysts with the legislature have predicted anywhere from a half a billion dollar deficit to a one and a half billion deficit, um, which is obviously a huge range. So the full extent of the damage is still kind of up in the air. Elected officials, including Ducey, are expecting some updated financial data in mid-June, and we'll be able to tackle it more in depth at that time. The state does have about $1 $1 billion in its rainy day fund it could lean on. Ducey has really you know, brought that up whenever he's asked about the financial picture going forward, sort of trying to ease everybody's worries that we have this big savings account, we'll be okay. But you know, if we're looking at a $1.5 or $6 billion deficit, it's not clear what that looks like between rainy day fund, general fund, and some of the dollars that we're getting from the federal government. What about the state's image? Will it suffer? The state already has taken some hits in terms of its image as it relates to the handling of the pandemic. As we talked about earlier, the governor's statewide stay-at-home order, some of the many exemptions he included in there, salons, golf courses, recreational activities, came under fire beyond Arizona. Also, after he eased some of those restrictions um, in the stay-at-home order last month, photos and videos of bars and clubs and pools completely packed to the gills over Memorial Day weekend emerged. And people in those clips were, of course, not wearing masks, not social distancing by any means. So that spurred some criticism and some mocking, frankly, of Arizona as well. And now we're seeing an increase in confirmed COVID-19 cases now that we're a couple of weeks out from Memorial Day. Also a jump in hospitalizations and deaths. We surpassed the thousand death mark on Friday and we've made national headlines again for those trajectories. 
I do think it's a little early to give a definitive assessment on how Arizona comes out of all this, given where we are in the course of the pandemic. Of course, everyone has heard about you know potential second wave. We're not sure where things stand in terms of vaccines, uh, financial help. So I do think it's a bit early there, but we've certainly gotten uh, some criticism so far. Well, Maria, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, listeners, be sure to follow her reporting by going to azcentral.com and clicking politics. And Maria, where can people find you on Twitter? I'm at mpoletta. That's P-O-L-L-E-T-T-A. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. So, Yvonne, um, this whole non-communication issue is really not new for the governor. Um, this has been around for some time with him. Talk about that and, and what, if anything, that tells us about where we are this deep into the governor's uh, tenure. Right. So we talked a little bit about his leadership style in uh, a previous episode uh, featuring uh, two mayors he really likes to have things his way. I mean, he it was a CEO of a company, a large company. He's now CEO of the state. And I think he likes to hear, you know, a lot of input from people. But once he's made up his mind, he expects everyone to follow in that direction. And clearly the dynamics are a lot different when you are um, in public office, uh, especially when you're in the middle of of two major, you know, crises and your, your state is really reeling. Um, his lack of communication with, you know, two female mayors of color in Flagstaff and, uh, in Tucson, I think is really striking. And yes, this is a style that he has, you know, long been accustomed to. Remember the big fight that he had with former state treasurer Jeff DeWitt. They had a major standoff over the direction of education funding of Proposition 123, if our listeners will remember that. And the governor, uh, you know, broke off all communication with DeWitt. He probably saw no upside because DeWitt was talking frequently to the press. Um, and he was, you know, pulling the fire alarm and letting the public know about what was happening uh, within state government. At one point, things got so bad that DeWitt said, look, the, the governor's so upset with me, like he won't even be in the same room with me. So you're talking about two elected officials from the Republican Party having a major standoff. He, you know, had a similar kind of fight with, you know, school superintendent Diane Douglas. She is a Republican. They would talk uh, every now and then, but they didn't have the best relationship for a time either. So, you know, will he change course and decide to be much more inclusive with these mayors? I don't know, but, you know, it's not really a good look, according to uh, both his critics and his supporters. Okay, so let's in fairness, remember that these have been some pretty extraordinary days uh, of late. Um, how much of this is going to, how much of this moment with the pandemic or with these uh, protests after uh, George Floyd's death, how much of that is really going to be part of the the legacy in full for this governor? And I'm thinking of sort of broader on the economic development front or the state's image 
or its relations with Washington uh, directly and such. How do you think the governor fares on all of that when we sort of scope back and, and look at his entirety as governor? I think it remains to be seen. I think if we start to see you know, job growth, if the economy looks as though it's, you know, going to get back on track quickly. Um, I think that bodes well for Ducey. And this is somebody who um, entered with a a fiscal message, a financial message, someone who really um, brags a lot about um, the the state of, of our economy, of our growth here in Maricopa County. If that continues, I I think that that that's good for him. It fares well for him. If it doesn't, I I think that you're gonna um, you know start to see maybe some of his poll numbers slip and decline even more than what they are now. When it comes to the pandemic, I think the question is going to be what does this look like at the end of the day? And we just don't have those answers now. If we start to see um, staggering numbers of deaths, which you know a thousand lives lost is a lot. If, if those numbers continue to climb and there's not a lot of mitigation done or we start to move into the different phases of reopening um, from the set by the, the federal government um, and those numbers mount, I think that that's a serious stain on his legacy. Any talk of Doug Ducey's legacy matters in part because this is a man who has really kind of uh, signaled for a long time that he has higher office uh, ambitions. Um, Is there anything that he needs to do at this point? Is there any space for him to do something that is significant that will help him uh, sort of uh, slide from the governor's role into candidate or nominee for something uh, beyond being governor. Yeah, so his name is frequently me- mentioned as someone who might, you know, run for Senate in a couple of years or, you know, m- uh, maybe be in line for a cabinet position if Republicans uh, hold on to the White House. I see him more as the CEO. I think that's where he's very comfortable. He likes being in charge. He likes um, to be able to set his own agenda and his own pace. And I think that that's a lot more difficult when you're doing that uh, in Washington, where there is gridlock and partisan battles every single day. So I don't, I don't know that I see him there. Um, perhaps he could go back into the private sector and you know run the show there. Either way you know, no matter what he does, his legacy as governor will be his legacy. I mean, think about Jan Brewer when, when she was governor, you know, we had 1070, we almost could have had 1062. We had a recession that she helped climb out of when we had Napolitano, you know, we had massive, uh, funding and spending on K through 12 education. We had a crisis at the border. I mean, governors are defined by these big moments and Ducey's will be defined by how he handles these big moments. So, um, it's up to him to set that legacy. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on it as it continues to unfold. Gaggle listeners, that's all we have for today. Audio in today's episode comes from Fox 10 and AZ Family. And while we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend or two. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. 
Today's episode was edited and produced by Marisa Dominguez with oversight from Katie O'Connell. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.